I'll be reading from the NIV version. That's 1 John 2, 12 through 17. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. May the name of Jesus be glorified. Bow your heads in prayer with me, please. Father, we long to know you, to love you more, and to live our lives out of a joyful response to your salvation. Lord, be with my brother Lenny as he presents your truth to us today. And may we see Jesus, and may we love him and know him more as a result of the message of your servant and your Holy Spirit in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, here we go. It is wonderful to see you guys, and it is wonderful to be here today with you to present God's Word. Now, I want you guys to look around the room and make eye contact with those around you. And I've got a question for you. Do you believe that these people that you're sitting with right now here in this room are your family? They are, right? We do life together. We interact with one another. Hopefully, these are the people in your life that God has given you that you trust, that you can share your heart with, that you can do these things together through ministry group, through phone calls, whatever it may be. This is your family. I don't have physical family in this area. I've got you guys. And through the years, you've been my family. And through eternity, you will be my family. But sometimes family have to talk about difficult things, right? You have to sit at the table. You have to pound through things. Even if they're difficult, maybe they're not easy to communicate or talk about. But that's the case sometimes where you have to work through things together as family. And the topic that has been given to me for the next two weeks is one of those topics. It's one of those topics that's not fun to talk about. It's uncomfortable. There's privacy and shame when we talk about this subject. At the men's retreat, the whole concept of sexual purity, sexuality, sex was brought up. And that is something that we discussed as men. And the elders felt like it would be a good opportunity to discuss that as a family together. A lot of times when we talk about sex, we break into groups, women and men. Today, we're going to talk about it together. And I know that this is not a comfortable topic. Even in conversations that I've had over the past couple weeks, months, 
there's a demeanor change when you talk about sex, right? It's uncomfortable. But the reality is, this topic is a huge topic in our society. It is a huge battle that Satan has made incredible grounds on that affects each and every one of us in our lives. It affects your marriage. It affects you as young people as you battle against the temptations of this world with premarital sex or pornography. It battles us in our modesty and how we as women maybe dress or men, how we dress. We are faced with this concept of transgender now that our society is having to deal with. And as believers, we need to feel like, how, how do we deal with this? We're dealing with homosexuality. It's at the forefront and it's accepted. There's adultery, there's movies. You name it, this affects our lives. I was talking with Robert last week and he is sitting in his car with his daughter, Aiden, and she's having this conversation with him. Dad, I know the babies grow in mommy's tummies and all that stuff, but where does the guy fit into all this? Right? We as parents have to communicate and talk about sex with our kids. Right? It affects us all. And we need not be afraid, and we need not be ashamed or fearful of this topic. Why? We will look at that a little bit later. But it is something that God has created, and it is good. And we need to understand that. Immediately when we talk about sex, our minds immediately go to the negative, right? We're bombarded with it in the news, right? The Stanford sex case that's occurred this week. Last night, I just saw a headline where 50-some people were killed in a homosexual nightclub. We are bombarded with this concept, with this stuff in our lives. And we need to know how to deal with it as believers. We need to know how to face it. We need to know how to battle against it. My goal this morning is that you guys are encouraged. That you guys understand the beauty of what God has created. And that you understand the beauty of who Christ is in salvation. If you can walk away with anything this morning, that's what I want you to walk away with. I want you to walk away with how awesome and how beautiful our Lord is. And we as believers have a different perspective on sex than the world does. That we as believers are the only ones that truly can experience sex the way God has intended it. As an act of worship to Him. Now, I've got to be honest with you. As I've thought through this subject over the past month and a half, my biggest burden and my biggest struggle was, why do you guys need to hear this message? As I was thinking about this message, I think, you know, immediately we think, oh, this is a guy's problem, right? They deal with pornography. That's a struggle. This is a guy's problem. No, that is not the case. This is not just a man's problem because we are visual. It affects us all. From young, to our children, to you as young people, to you as young marrieds, to you as older married people, to you who are single, or maybe chosen to be celibate, to those who are maybe widows in this body. This subject touches us all. And to be honest with you, that has been my biggest struggle. How can I minister the Word of God 
to all these different facets of our body. But that's the beauty of it as well. And that's where immediately I was sitting in a worship service here where God brought that passage that Philip read to us. And he talks to three different individuals in that passage. All right? He talks about children. He says, I am writing to you little children that your sins have been forgiven because of his name. I am writing to you fathers that you have known him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you young people that you have conquered the evil one. I have written to you children that you have known the father. I have written to you fathers that you have known him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you young people that you are strong and the word of God resides in you and you have conquered the evil one. He talks to children, he talks to young people, and he talks to fathers. Three distinct generations, but three distinct and very, very important messages that he proclaims to them. The first one is to children. Children, know that your sins have been forgiven. How cool is that? That's the message that he wants young children and all of us to know, that our sins have been forgiven. And we're going to look at that in depth here in a little bit, so I'm not going to go into detail here. But you young people, he says the second thing, I am writing to you young people that you have conquered the evil one. I have written to you young people that you are strong and the word of God resides in you and you have conquered the evil one. We will deal with this one next week, but I want you guys to know as young people, wherever you're sitting, I know you're in here because Dan has asked you to be in here, that you have conquered the evil one. That is so important for you guys to grab hold of and know that we don't have to struggle with premarital sex or with pornography because we have conquered the evil one. He has given us victory. And next week, I really want to focus on that because all of us are in this battle together. And that doesn't just focus on the young people. That focuses on your marriage. It focuses on the relationship that you have with your wife. It focuses on those that God is calling to be single that they can find their satisfaction and fulfillment in Christ, which is greater than sex, it touches us all. And then the last one, which I think has been my biggest struggle, is to the fathers, as I was thinking about this message. I am writing to you fathers that you have known Him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you fathers that you have known Him who has been from the beginning. He says that twice. When I read these verses, what do I see? I see longevity, right? I look around at the older generation in this room. You have known God for a long time. You have experienced God's faithfulness. You've experienced God's grace. You've experienced God's forgiveness in this area. Some of you have been married for 50 years. My parents last week celebrated their 50-year anniversary. That's amazing. You guys have things that you can offer this body as it pertains to sex and sexuality. You are important. This message goes to you because we need your wisdom. This is not a path that is easily navigated. You have been there. You have been married a long time. You are maybe single for a long time. Whatever it may be, we need your wisdom as we govern and go through this path that we're talking about. I need help in how to explain sex to my boys. I've got four boys. 
that need to know sex and about sex and how to handle it, how to be a man of God, how to be someone that honors the Lord with their bodies. I need your help. You've been there, some of you. You've explained this to your kids, right? With age comes, hopefully, wisdom. You guys can portray that and give that to our body. You're wise. You can offer discernment, maturity. You can pass that wisdom along to us as a younger generation because you have seen the faithfulness of the Lord. You've seen His forgiveness at times when you've messed up and you can share that with us. You have seen His peace at times of trial and hardship. You know the security that comes in knowing Christ because you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You've experienced His grace, His discipline, His omniscience, His holiness, His omnipresence, the fact that He has been faithful to His promise. You have lived life and God is not done with you yet. Pass it along. Discipleship. Share Christ and His great attributes. So as I was thinking about this message and our body, we have a great age gap. But this is important for us all. Older people, we need you. This is not something we need to be afraid of or ashamed about to talk about. We need to communicate because our world is communicating it. We as a body need to be able to communicate and talk with each other about this. Is it comfortable? No. Because it's intimate. It's private. It's something that we share that God has given us with our wives or our husbands. But it's something that is being bombarded uh, in our lives. So, that was a long introduction. (laughs) But I hope you guys understand the importance of where we're going. The first point that I really want to share with you guys is the fact that sex is a beautiful gift of God to His creation. He's given it to us. And this has been fascinating for me because a lot of times we think about, okay, yes, God created sex. Next, let's move on. Right? We don't want to stop and pause there and think about that deeper. We can see that right from the first chapter of the Bible. Sex is a part of Genesis chapter 1. And you know what? It goes all through the Bible. Every book probably talks about it in some form or fashion, whether negative or positive. Even in Revelation, we see the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we see we, as the bride of Christ, will be reunited, be united with Christ and experience Him in all His glory. But in Genesis chapter 1, it says this, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image. After our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move on the earth. God created humankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. The only way to be fruitful and multiply is to have sex. And that is in the first chapter of the book of the Bible. He has given it to us. And he goes on and he continues to talk. And he gets to the end of that section there in chapter 1 and verse 31. He says, God saw all that he had made. And what does he say? It was very good. We need to understand that God has given us sex as a gift. It is part of his creation. And it's not just for the purpose of multiplication. 
We need to understand that. It's not just so that we can carry on the human mankind. Yes, that is part of it. But there is also pleasure in that. And that is something that God has given to us as His children. It goes a little deeper into Genesis chapter 2. So we're two for two, right? The first two chapters of the Bible, it talks about this. It says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. Right? He desires that we have a relationship. We are relational beings. We are created in the image of God. God is a triune God. He has a personal, intimate relationship with Himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And He says it is good for man not to be alone. And what does He do? He says, I will make a companion for him who corresponds to him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was asleep, he took part of the man's side and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the part he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Then the man said, This one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called Woe Man. Right? For she was taken out of him. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and unites with his wife, and they become one flesh or a new family. The man and his wife were both naked, but they were not ashamed. Did you hear that? Man and wife, Adam and Eve, were naked, and they were not ashamed. How beautiful is that? Here God has created man. He has given him a suitable helper in woman. And they are both naked in the garden, and they are not ashamed. It is a great an incredible gift that he has given to them. Right? Even in the New Testament, there's teachings that talk about this. There was a heresy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that was brought up, and it says, Now the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will desert the faith and occupy themselves with deceiving spirits and demonic teachings. Deceiving spirits and demonic teachings influenced by the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. They will prohibit marriage and require abstinence from foods. Here Paul is saying, that's hypocrisy. That is heresy. That is a teaching of the devil. Sex is good. Marriage is good. God has given it and He has created it and we need to enjoy it as He had planned for it to. It says, from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creation of God is good, and no food is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by God's word and by prayer. We can receive this gift with thanksgiving. That's very important for us to understand that God has created this gift of sex for us to enjoy and be a part of. Of course, it must be in the right context. And that context is marriage. One of the things that was fascinating to me is that so often we talk about that fact that, yes, God created sex, and we don't want to go deeper into that. I read a quote this week that just kind of blew my mind, and it kind of put things into perspective for me in looking at God and His creativity and His beauty. It says this, The very delights and passions and ecstasies of God-designed sexual intercourse in marriage are the kinds of pleasure God Himself conceived 
and created. They come from Him. They are something of Him. He is that kind of pleasure-knowing, pleasure-imagining, pleasure-creating God. And therefore, when we taste those pleasures, we are tasting something of God. He made sexual pleasure, and so He is greater. And He made it to communicate something of Himself. He never meant it to be an alternative to pleasure in Him. He meant for Himself to be seen and savored in it. That quote truly opened my eyes to a lot of things. God has given us this great thing, right? He has given it to us so that we can taste and see something more of how great and how awesome He is. We as believers can experience sex in a way that the world can't because we can know that He is greater than sex. That relationship with Him is far greater. Did you hear that? It says, and so He made sexual pleasure, and so He is greater. God ought to be treasured above sexual pleasure and tasted in sexual pleasure. Now that sounds really awkward, standing at the pulpit talking about this, but that's true. Right? Our God conceived it. He created it. How cool is that? That we as believers can know the God who created these things. The problem is that so often in our lives and the world's eyes, they have taken this pleasure that God has given and they've elevated it above God. And that's where the struggle lies, is it not? They have forgotten God And they have elevated sex and sexual pleasure and all these things above the Creator. Romans 1 is very clear about that. They have worshipped the creature rather than the Creator. And that's where the struggle lies. When we start elevating this gift and this incredible gift that God has given us to point us to Christ and the intimacy that we can have with Christ and that relationship with Christ, when we elevate that above God above Christ. And that's where the problem lies. And that's where we are as a society. Sex has become a God. And our society worships that. It is in your face, in the movies, in all the stuff that we do. It's in the news. We can't go to the grocery store without seeing sex in our face. Our world has made it a God. And it is a big struggle. God has created sex and is absolutely beautiful, an incredible picture of the intimacy that we can have with Christ. It is a pleasure that we as Christians can enjoy and partake in through marriage and worship God through. God ought to be treasured above sexual pleasure and tested, tasted in sexual pleasure. The problem, though, is that we've elevated sexual pleasure above God. The fruit became more desirable than God. That is what happened in what chapter? Genesis chapter 3 the fruit became more pleasurable than God himself. And that's where it all went wrong, right? The first two chapters, they were naked and unashamed. But what do we see in chapter 3? It says, after Adam and Eve ate the tree, what happened? Ate of the tree, sorry, the fruit of the tree, what happened? Then the eyes of both of them opened, and they knew they were naked. 
So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Immediately, the first thing that they did was they knew that they were naked. And they sewed clothing to hide their nakedness. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God moving about in the orchard at the breezy time of day. And what did they do? They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the orchard. They heard God coming. And they were afraid. They were ashamed. The guilt had set in. And what did they do? They ran and they fleed and they hid from God. Something happened in Genesis chapter 3 when they took the pleasure above honoring and loving God. That relationship was separated. It was torn. And God basically asked them a question. Hey, Adam and Eve, where are you? Kind of a silly question. Do you think God knew where they were? Absolutely. He says, I heard you moving. This is Adam's response. I heard you moving about in the orchard, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Immediately, that sin entered the world, and immediately shame, guilt, they hid. They were afraid of God, and they were ashamed. You know, when you think about sexual sins, they carry an incredible burden, do they not? I can guarantee you in this room that there are men who are struggling with pornography. And the weight and the burden that that sexual sin is weighing on them is almost too much to bear. There's great shame and there's a heavy heart. I can guarantee in this room that there are marriages that are struggling in this area of sexuality and intimacy with their partners. Right? I know that there are people right now struggling right in our body that are carrying an incredible burden that is so heavy. You want to hide it. You want to keep it secret because you're ashamed. You've heard the voice of God saying, Hey, come on. What are you doing? You're hiding from it. And you're hiding from God because you're afraid. Maybe your relationship with your husband is bad and you're having a hard time forgiving something that he did and you do not want to have relations with him. Maybe you're holding that over his head. There's no forgiveness there. Maybe God has called you to be single, which is an awesome thing. And you're struggling with loneliness, companionship. But you can find that intimacy with Christ. Maybe you're being tempted at school to accept some of the things that the world is offering. And it's a battle because those pleasures and those temptations look so inviting. You can overcome. Maybe you've messed up and had sex before marriage and are having a hard time receiving God's forgiveness because you feel your sin is too great. We could go on and on. Sexual sin carries great shame, and it's a great burden. It's different than the other sins because it is a sin against the body. 1 Corinthians talks about that. But you know what's awesome? Is that Christ is beautiful. The gospel is beautiful. Beauty is absolute, and it is found in Him and Him alone. Sexual sins bear great shame. They are intimate, private, personal. 
They are done in secret, and that shame disables us. We hide in fear and shame, and it renders us useless until we come to the gospel. God offers forgiveness. How incredible is that? That we don't have to hide in shame. We don't have to flee God and hide because we're afraid. We can trust Him and He offers us forgiveness. There's an incredible story that I love that kind of illustrates this and it's in John chapter 8. I just want to read it to you and talk about it for a quick. It says, And each one departed to his own house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came to the temple courts again. All the people came to him and, we, and he sat down and began to teach them. The experts in the law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught committing adultery. They made her stand in front of them. And he said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone to death such women. What then do you say? Now they were asking this in an attempt to trap him so that they could bring charges against him. Jesus bent down and wrote on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in asking him, he stood up straight and replied, Whoever among you is guiltless may be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he bent over again and wrote on the ground. Now when they heard this, they began to drift away one at a time, starting with the older ones until Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up straight and said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She replied, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Do you understand the weight and the burden and the shame that this woman was experiencing at this point in time in her life? Do you think she knew her sin at that point? Absolutely. She is standing in front of a bunch of people. She has been pulled out of the very act of adultery, is standing in front of the Sanhedrin. She's pulled out and is standing in front of the Messiah, the Savior. Do you think she felt the burden and the guilt and the shame at that point in time? Absolutely. And here we see an incredible picture of the grace of God. We see an incredible picture of God's forgiveness. He comes, stands, and he starts writing on the ground. Now, we have no idea what he's writing. We don't need to know because he didn't tell us. But we do know that even in that, God takes the focus off the woman and he puts it on himself. Right? This woman is feeling incredible shame and everyone is looking at Jesus, seeing what he is going to do. He does that. He is good. And he sits there and he writes on the ground and they persist in saying, what should we do? Should we stone her? And he stands up and he says, whoever's guiltless, throw the first stone. And he bends back down. And eventually he stands back up and he looks around and he's like, where are these guys that accuse you? Where are they? And they're not there. And he says, woman, did no one condemn you? 
And he says, no one, Lord. And what does Jesus do? The one that could have condemned her. He forgives her. He offers her salvation. He removes the guilt and the shame. And he gives her victory and freedom in her life that she has never experienced before. And it's remarkable. Your God is bigger than sexual sin. He can forgive you. And he wants to. This woman's life was radically changed at this point in time. I can guarantee you that when she was forgiven and he says, go and sin no more, do you think she went and continued to do what she was doing? Absolutely not. Because she came face to face with the Savior and experienced His grace, His forgiveness, His love. He did not condemn her. He extended grace and forgiveness. And He desires to do that in our lives. That is beautiful. Christ is beautiful. He desires you to experience His love, His forgiveness, His grace. If there's one area of our lives where we feel great shame, it's the area of sexuality and that kind of stuff. We can experience His forgiveness and grace and we don't have to sin any longer because of that. That is my desire for us as a body. Those sins destroy. And we'll talk about that next week. How our enemy, the devil, roars around, running around, looking for someone to devour. Those sexual sins will devour us. They will destroy us. But He offers us forgiveness and grace and victory. How amazing is that? Our God is beautiful. Our gospel that we love and we come every week to worship is beautiful. Hebrews 4, 13 through 16 says, And no creature is hidden from God, but everything is naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must render an account. What did Adam and Eve do? They hid. Do you think God knew where they were? Of course. He's omniscient. He knows everything. We are bare. We are naked before Him. But He desires to cleanse us from all sin. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace whenever we need help. You know, we've got a good God. We've got a beautiful God who had gave up heaven and came down fully man. He experienced all the temptations that we experienced, but yet he didn't sin. And he offers salvation and forgiveness and joy and restoration to us as his children. Do you believe that God can give you victory over pornography? Do you believe that God can reconcile and restore the intimacy within your relationships? Do you believe that you can find something greater than sex in Christ? And the intimacy and the relationship that you have with Him. If you can't, and if you don't, your God is weak and small. My God is big. He can restore relationships. 
He can reconcile intimacy in marriages. He can give you victory in your life over sin. Because he says so. This woman's life was radically changed by the gospel, by being confronted with Christ and her own sin and being offered forgiveness. And she accepted it. And I can guarantee you at that point in time, that burden, that weight was lifted. How beautiful is that? How incredible is that? The Lord is compassionate and merciful. He is patient and demonstrates great loyal love. He does not always accuse and does not stay angry. He does not deal with us as our sins deserve. He does not repay us as our misdeeds deserve. For as the skies are high above the earth, so His loyal love towers over His faithful followers. And as far as the eastern horizon is from the west, so He removes our guilt of our rebellious acts from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on His faithful followers. For He knows what we are made of. He realizes we are made of clay. Psalm 103 is pretty remarkable that he doesn't deal with us according to our sins. In fact, he removes our guilt. He casts us as far as the east is from the west. We've got a beautiful God who offers forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation. And we need to accept it. It is free. Why walk around with a burden and a guilt and a shame that you can't handle anymore? Why not come to the Savior on bended knees and accept his forgiveness? Because you know what? When a sinner repents, there is a great big party going on in heaven. There is joy that is unimaginable. Pretty awesome. Do you believe that God can give you freedom from sin? Do you believe that God can restore your marriage so that you can enjoy it? Do you believe that God can sustain you if you're not married? Do you believe that God loves you and is absolutely beautiful and can be trusted with your life? Do you believe that God is all-powerful and can give you victory? I absolutely believe that He can. Our God is not weak. He is the Creator, the Sustainer, the Righteous and Holy One. He is the One that is offering you life, and He's offering it to you abundantly. He's offering restoration, forgiveness. He's extending His hand to you today. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Because He is. He is good. Do you believe that? If you believe it, that should radically change your life and your outlook. Yes, He has given us great pleasure. And He's given us a great gift that we can experience in marriage as a picture of His great love. But He is greater than that. We should not substitute sex for the Creator. The Creator is good. And He is the best. And that is what our life should be sustained by. And what our hope should be in and our peace. That is what we should rest in. Yes, He gives us these pleasures over here to enjoy and partake in. But we partake in them so that we can taste and see that He is good. We partake in them so that we can worship Him through those things. Pretty awesome. We are a reflection of God's beauty, are we not? When we come to know Christ as our Savior, when He changes us, when we experience His forgiveness, we are a reflection of that beauty to those around us. Our marriages should be a reflection of God's beauty. Our kids should see God's beauty in our marriage. When they see me walk by and pat my wife on the bottom, they should see, hey, that is a good thing. 
It is. We need not be afraid of this. God has given it to us. We need to communicate it. The world isn't afraid to communicate it. Why are we? Why do you immediately go to the negative when we think about sex? We should point to God because that's what it points to. We reflect God's beauty. We reflect God's glory in our lives. You as young people, you can reflect God's glory when you say no. That you want to save yourself for your wife or your husband. Because that's what God wants. God is more important to me than this pleasure here. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is present, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces reflecting the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, which is from the Lord, who is spirit. And we all with unveiled faces reflecting the glory of the Lord. So then, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What is old has passed away. Look, what is new is to come. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Our lives, our bodies, our marriages, our singleness, all that stuff is a reflection of God's beauty. And we have that opportunity. I hope everyone in this room has experienced the forgiveness that God is offering. We can move beyond being disabled by shame and guilt, by heartache, and we can confess our sins to the great and mighty forgiver and experience incredible joy and peace that can only come from Him. It is not a matter of do's and don'ts in our lives. Those do's and don'ts just set us up for failure. And they cause more shame and grief because we can't ever do it on our own. We need to come to the Savior, the great forgiver, and we need to experience Him and taste and see that He is good. Our God is a great God. He's a mighty God and He loves us. He has given us good gifts, things that we can enjoy and worship Him through. And I pray that our body can do that that we can reflect the beauty and the glory of our great God and Savior. And if you are struggling with these things, and you're battling, and you feel great shame and guilt, please talk to someone. We are a family. Remember we started with that? We are a family. We live and die as a family. We are children of God. And we will live with each other for eternity. We have all experienced grace and forgiveness in our lives. And that is a good thing. So I challenge us in our body to really reflect God's forgiveness and His joy and His peace. Our God is good. Well, that's all I got. I know we're a little short, but... Like I said, I hope that this has not been too uncomfortable. I know for me it's been, I've added a few gray hairs over the last couple weeks thinking about this. But God is good. 
And He gives us good gifts. And we can glorify and honor the Lord with it. And we don't have to be ashamed of it. Let's pray. And let's pray for um, the potluck as well. So after we're done here, um, you guys can go to the gym and we'll have fellowship together. And I challenge you guys not just to walk out of the doors and not talk about this. Obviously, God has all of you here for a reason. He has me here for a reason. We don't need to take that lightly. This may be a good opportunity as a body to talk. Because those secret sins can destroy our body. We want to get rid of that stuff, and we want to move forward as a body and see God do amazing things in this body. We want to see our body grow and mature. We want to do that together as a body. And these things, if they're hidden, can hinder that. And we need to deal with them, and we need to work through them together as family. Let's pray. Lord, you are kind and good. I do thank you for this morning. Lord, we know that this is not an easy subject to talk about, but we do thank you for um, the good gifts that you give us. I pray, Lord, that we as believers would be bold in proclaiming the truth of your word, especially as it pertains to sexuality and sex. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to point people to Christ, that they may be able to experience the great joy of knowing you. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you that it touches the deepest area of our lives and we can experience that thank you that you don't treat us as our sin that ought but that you forgive us i pray lord that we would live in that forgiveness that you would give us joy and peace and uh, just continually see your beauty in all these things help us to be good reflections of your beauty in our marriages in our high schools in the workplace i pray that we would reflect you thank you for this potluck Thank you that we can sit together as a family and rejoice in your goodness. I pray, Lord, that our conversation would be good and that it would be honoring to you. I pray that it would be uplifting and that we would encourage each other towards loving good deeds. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, just bless this food to our body's use. I pray these things in your name.